Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This message comes from Viking. Committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at Viking.com. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. So I was such a nerd and I did Model UN and I was on the yearbook staff and then I was the editor of the yearbook. I went to math camp when I was a kid. Did you? Yes, I did. Gosh. <laughs> I know. And I have this vivid memory actually during the 2000, I think it was during the 2008 campaign I was campaigning. I can't remember actually I was campaigning for my mom or later for President Obama, but I was somewhere and all of a sudden I was like shaking someone's hand and I was saying like, oh, you know, please don't forget to vote. And this guy was like, we were in math camp together. We did the unit on fractals together. Oh the campaign staff I was with were like, oh my gosh, she's like even more of a nerd than we thought she was already. I was like, yes, I did. I went to math camp and yearbook camp and language camp and model UN. And I did all sorts of nerdy things. I love it. You did all the camps. Hello, I'm Mini Driver. And welcome to Mini Questions. I've always loved Proust's Questionnaire. It was originally an 18th century parlor game meant to reveal an individual's true nature. But with so many questions, there wasn't really an opportunity to expand on anything. So I took the format of Proust's questionnaire and adapted what I think are seven of the most important questions you could ever ask someone. They are, when and where were you happiest? What is the quality you like least about yourself? What relationship, real or fictionalized, defines love for you? What question would you most like answered? What person, place, or experience has shaped you the most? What would be your last meal? And can you tell me something in your life that has grown out of a personal disaster? The more people we ask, the more we begin to see what makes us similar and what makes us individual. I've gathered a group of really remarkable people who I'm honored and humbled to have had a chance to engage with. Today, my guest is Chelsea Clinton. 
one of the most multidimensional people I've had the pleasure of speaking to. And as someone who studied acting, as opposed to going to a traditional university, I am always inspired by true academics. What strikes me as even more impressive about Chelsea is that with her doctorate in international relations and her master's in public health, she's carved out a space where her voice and expertise can create real change in the world. There's also a grace and a persistence with which she's explored her influence outside of the towering presence of both her parents. No mean feat. So I admit I just had a moment which this is like so mortifying, but now I have to I have to say this because it was in my head and I started to say it and I was like, do I want to say it? And I was like, yes. I went on a date to Circle of Friends many, oh. many years ago with very sweet Rory Aiken, who was my high school boyfriend. Oh but God. I think it was like the second date we went on. <laughs> so when oh. I was staring at you, I was like, oh my gosh. I was like ricocheted back to going on a date at the movie theater on Connecticut Avenue in Washington, D.C. I love that you know that. I love that that is like a grandmothered in memory. That's great. And like we didn't share popcorn because I was like, that felt too awkward. He was like, do you want popcorn? And I remember being like, no. Wait, do I want popcorn? What's the right romantic answer here? I was like a very awkward teenager. So, You know what? So was I, which is why I think I got that part in that film because it was just completely exactly what I was, just kind of overgrown with mental hair and didn't really know which way was up. So glad that was your first date. You and popcorn. My boyfriend, who, by the way, did model UN with you in <gasps> New York. Yes. No. Yes, he did. He did. What an amazing yeah. coincidence. I, yeah. So I, I was I Brazil and Canada in different <laughs> years. One year I was Brazil and one year I was Canada. Or not ju- not just me, my, my high school team. So you'll have I to ask him, does wish. he remember? He didn't want me to mention it at all, but now I have. But anyway, we gotta go. we're going to get into it. Where and when were you happiest? I'm happiest with my kids. I really am. I'm happiest when my kids are laughing. I'm happiest when my kids are like crawling all over me and tickling me. I'm happiest when we are reading a book together or baking together. We bake a lot, even pre-pandemic. We just have baked more in the pandemic, which is probably not good for any of us, but it's been a lot of fun. And we try to watch a family movie every weekend. Um, and I love listening to my kids kind of have these quite deep conversations about Trolls or Monsters, Inc., or most recently Raya and the Last Dragon. Well, my two older kids who are four and six, not my youngest, who's one who doesn't really <laughs> stay still for the family book reading or baking or movie watching. But that's when I'm happiest. I'm happiest when I like feel my children's laughter mm. fill my body and in my heart. Mm. Did you anticipate that before you were a mother? Did you anticipate what that feeling of your children's laughter inside you would feel like? No, no. I mean, like, I love my husband. We always knew that we'd hope to have children. I was so excited to be a mom when I was pregnant with all three of our children. And yet this is going to sound so crazy. I don't think I've actually ever said this in any public format, but my husband, Mark, and I were watching that show on the History Channel, The Vikings. I love that show. And right after Charlotte was born, you know, I'm in the hospital, like in the operating room, because I'd had to have an emergency C-section. 
And I had this sense of like, if the Vikings come through here, I'm going to like get off the table, even if my guts are literally like spilling all over the place and protect my child. And it just, it felt so primal. I love it. And I was like, who is this person? I love it. Who is this person that has just taken over my body? You had a full Viking flashback. I love the fact that you were envisioning Vikings and that you would fight the Vikings. <laughs> I just, if they were going to come around through the operating room, I was ready. I didn't know how I would be ready, but I was ready to protect. And I was trying to explain this to my husband. He was like, what are you talking about? Like, no, 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 no. no. I, I get like, it. But I'm ready. And he was like, I get it. what are you talking about? <laughs> but I'm ready. Totally. I, I have my mace under the- <laughs> Exactly, under the table. I just felt like all of a sudden I had become a mother yeah. and that this was the most important part of my life. And what- an extraordinary, not only gift, but new reality I've been given to love this little person and then to love her brothers. And you know, so it's, it's, not, it's not what I'd anticipated. And yet I could not imagine my life any other way. Did it give context to the things that you were already interested in? Yes. Yes. Did it make you want to make the world a better place? Yes. It, it, it made me feel even more intensely about the things I already felt strongly about, which I didn't know was possible. How frustrating it is actually this kind of sometimes conceit of the young people will save us. Right. Like, what? Right. why do the young people have to save us? Like, right. shouldn't we be saving us so they don't have yeah. to? Yeah. My job as a parent isn't to say, oh, like, congratulations, here's the mess I left for you, but don't worry. Like, I'm going to give you the tools to tackle it and take it on. Here's a dumpster fire for you. Good luck. I love you. Goodbye. But I'm going to make you a really big, bright, sparkly sign on the sidelines, like cheering you on. Like in a helicopter around the dumpster fire. Right. It feels so perverse to me. But it just, everything got sharper and felt like more urgency and energy and kind of a vibration of like, oh, like I have to do this now. Like I have to write Exactly. I have to teach these classes. I have to do this work. I have to try to help people care. I have to get people focused on public health. And now it's easier because we're in the midst of a pandemic and all of my friends are like, oh, this is what you do. This is what you've been talking about for years. I know. What um, an extraordinary lens as well to like have a pandemic actually bring into even further focus the work that you've been doing all your life as an adult to suddenly go, here, here it is illustrated, laid out before you. And once again, you know, in the same way that the Reagan administration refused to deal with the HIV AIDS crisis, the same way the Trump administration refused to admit that there was even a problem with COVID-19 and that it was going to somehow disappear. Painful, painful echoes. Because I remember where I was when Magic Johnson talked about being HIV positive. And I remember reading and then later watching the extraordinary movie that came out of and the band played on. And I, Mm -hmm. I remember you know, trying to consume everything I could about ACT UP and just the deeply visceral resonance of silence equals death. And then I remember thinking, like, we'll never be there again, right? Like, even though there's so many things that I wish had been different, you know, at the new year of last year, I just never thought that we would have had, even under the Trump administration, an administration that kind of had the echoes of the worst of the Reagan era of ignorance and dismissiveness and the discrediting of science. Kind of science and effects. And effects. And the kind of willful trafficking in things that are so unscientific and not based in facts. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. 
Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com. Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids' playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe ventilation system exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe ventilation system. You can get it installed, or DIY kits are available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com and receive 20% off today. I know that you are a baker, but mm. what would be your last meal? Oh, good Lord. I was a vegetarian for many years. I gave up red meat when I was 11, and I gave up all meat when I was 13. It was a little bit a little bit rebellion and a little bit motivated by cruelty toward cattle and slaughterhouses and concerns about excessive red meat on your body. But it would be totally disingenuous if I didn't also just own that it was a little bit rebellious, which all my friends were like, this is how you're rebelling. I was like such a rebel. (laughs) Chelsea, that is the rebellion of somebody who goes to math camp. I won't eat meat and I will do fractals. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and I like, you know, had to give my mother all of these back in the old days when you would, you know, have to write things out, like write out, like, don't worry, mom, I know how to have a well-balanced meal. But for some reason, when I was 29, I just started to crave red meat. I don't know if wow. that, I was also running so much at the time. So I don't know if it was, I needed the iron or I needed the protein. And I'm a big believer in listening to our bodies, and I don't eat a lot of meat because I'm still very mindful of the kind of environmental effects. But I do, I do love a really good, like flat iron steak or skirt steak or cheeseburger. So I would probably have one of those, not all of those. You can have a bite of all three, maybe. Well, no, no, because like I just. And like a really good arugula salad, is that boring? And I love broccoli, so there'd be some broccoli and some roasted Brussels sprouts. Good Lord. And I would have to have a really decadent piece of, or maybe, you know, I'm going to not have a piece of cake. I'm going to have dark chocolate mousse with some whipped cream on top, and I'm going to have a really large espresso at the end of the meal. Oh, and I definitely, and I want a glass of red wine during the meal. So I want my glass of red wine. I want my steak. I'm going to go steak, not cheeseburger. I want my steak. I want all my green vegetables. 
I want my chocolate mousse with my glass of red wine. And then I want to have a big espresso and a hug for my kids. And then I guess I can die happy if that's where this conversation's going. It's quite triggering, this question, because, uh, you know, your last meal, you know, before you get on the Greyhound to go to Wyoming, I don't know, or the last meal, it does sound like, you know, it's your last meal before you're going to die. But you were going to say a piece of what? You you went for the chocolate mousse, but you did say, I will have a huge piece of... Oh, yeah, I love red velvet cake. I have a red velvet cake in my refrigerator we made a few days ago. Well, you can have the red velvet cake and... The chocolate, and the chocolate mousse. mousse. <laughs> I feel like this is an interesting, I feel like you really, even when you're given carte blanche to have your, you're still abstemious. <laughs> I don't want to be a glutton, <laughs> even at the end. Right up to the end, she wasn't a glutton. She only had the mousse. She didn't have the cake. Let it be known. Oh, that's a good epitaph. Can you just tell me what flavor is red velvet? Because I don't understand. In England, we didn't have it. It seems to me that it is just red food coloring in plain cake. What's the flavor meant to be? There are quite intense. Maybe that's overstating it. Maybe it's just intense if you care about Southern baking. I was, I was like, they're very intense debates. And I'm like, this really needs a little bit of like perspective. You're on a few red velvet platforms, aren't you? It's like red groups. <laughs> The origins of red velvet are a bit shrouded in mystery. Some people say red velvet originated from beet sugar and beet food coloring when sugar was expensive and harder to come by and beets were not. And so the red color comes from beets. That is the best explanation I have heard yet. That's what I had heard growing up. I now know, though, that others say... No, actually, it was about the texture of the cake. It was the texture of the cake that was velvety, that if you were using lighter chocolate, kind of the light brown looked a little red, and red sounded more novel. And so it was kind of marketed as red velvet cake even before it had the color red. So that's some people's explanation. So I don't want to go definitively like on this because I'm now going to have baking forms being like, she was not truthful about this. I don't think you are. I think they're going to be happy that you're talking about cake at all because I know I am. I think it doesn't get enough play. Well, so we love the Great British Baking Show in our family. It's the greatest show ever made. I think that it might be. I think that it might be. Why couldn't they just have made endless versions of that show to help us through the last 14 months to give us like the joy. I'm sorry to tell you, but in England, they did this thing where they had celebrities on to bake, people who maybe had never baked before. And it was all for stand up to cancer. I've heard my English friends have really, they haven't been very kind in like rubbing it in my face. They have had a lot more content. It's been the best thing about being in England. There is a lot more Bake Off. What person, place, or experience has most altered your life? Oh, well, probably the honest answer is when my father won the election in 1992 and we moved uh, to Washington, D.C. When you moved from Little Rock to D.C., did things become sacrosanct? Did you take things with you that made it home, that made this transition somehow easier or made it more familiar? Completely. One of the things I'm so thankful to my parents for doing is there were uh, very much the rhythms of our life um, in that we still had family dinner every night. So that was very sacrosanct time. Even if my parents had to go out to an event or if my father had to go back to the Oval Office, he would come home. My parents would come home. We had dinner every night together. 
we went to church on Sundays and we had family lunch after church. That also was a really sacrosanct like family tradition and all of that translated. I grew up playing just huge numbers of games with my parents and with my grandparents, my uncles. And we, I think, played games every week, if not kind of more frequently, you know, card games, board games, depending on how we were all feeling, sometimes charades. I mean, just we had so many games. When my father won is probably the event in my life that externally most kind of influenced my life, but certainly internally what most influenced my life was when I became a mother. Oh, yeah. I often wonder about the parallel life if I hadn't had Henry of carrying on doing and exploring the things all that I'm interested in and living what can't help but be a fairly sort of selfish life in terms of just living for yourself with no dependence. But I wonder what else would have filled that space because once you know what that feeling is to love a child, once you have had that explosion inside, it's hard to imagine like what it would have been like without them. I can't. Oh, I, my imagination fails. I just, I can't, I can't see it. Like, I don't know what happens to me after 2014 when I became a mom. It's just empty. And I've, I have a pretty good imagination. Like I make up magical stories every night for my kids. Do you? Yeah. We have Maya, the, the dragon, <laughs> the blue dragon. We have Pedro, the penguin. We have all sorts of characters in our kind of magical menagerie. My dad used to tell me and my sister the story about Charlie the fox, which we now embellish. I mean, this fox has really been through the ringer at this point mm. because we add and embellish, but... But he's still here, right? Charlie the fox has survived. Oh, yeah, yeah. He always, he always survives. But he's lost most of his tail at this point because oh, the dear. hounds now get mm. his tail. They didn't used to, but they get it now. Oh, God, what, what does that say about our world? You know what? That you can still carry on without a tail. Yeah. Who needs it? But do you remember back to your pre-children days? Totally. I remember pre-children, but I can't imagine life without my kids. Yeah. Because the Vikings, really, and just the love that I just, yeah. I felt like I could feel my heart. Like in a way, like I, I remember when I went through puberty and like I would have a crush on a boy and I already, you know, told you I went on a date to your movie, Circle of Friends. So I remember like feeling like, oh, like flutters and like overwhelmed and happy when my now husband proposed to me. And so I felt connected to this organ, but it really wasn't until I met Charlotte, our, our first child. I was like, oh. This is it. This organ that I could feel when I, I'm, I'm a big runner. So like when I was going for longer distances or running really fast, and I of course could feel my heart beating quite literally, but I just felt like, oh, that's what else you're for. And have you read that book, Born to Run by Christopher McDougall? Yes. My dad gave me that book because he reads it seemingly like everything the day after it comes out. Holy moly. Gave it to me probably like two weeks after it came out and was like, I thought of you. Oh, did you get rid of your big chunky Nike running shoes and get some minimalist <laughs> sandals? Because I did. <laughs> so I didn't try the running sandals, but I did try like the very thin running shoes. And I just, I'm not proud, but I, I, my feet hurt. I was trying to think of like a more elegant way to say that. No, your feet, feet hurt. My yeah. feet hurt. So I went back to my more kind of clunky shoes that uh, my feet don't hurt while using. Do you run to get away from stuff or do you run for health reasons or a mixture of both? So I run, yes, absolutely. Because, you know, I, I think it's important to exercise and like good for my health. I also run though very much for my uh, mental health. It is the time when I disconnect it's the time when I get closest to what I would think of as meditating, where my brain really kind of clears out. 
And when I'm going, especially for longer runs, in the first half of my run, I will I'll listen to music or I'll listen to a podcast. And then I always, at least I try, unless I'm like totally enwrapped in whatever I'm listening to, to like stop stop listening about halfway through my run to force myself to kind of be in that silence of my own mind. Hmm. How far do you run? Totally depends on how much time I have. Does it? Yeah, totally. So if if I can like wake up early and I have time, I can go for a longer run. But oftentimes I have like 40 minutes. So I get changed. I run like, you know, three and a half miles. I come back and I kind of go back to my day. So it, it just really depends on how much time I have. Before I became a parent, I often would run at night. Would you? Yeah. I mean, but with like reflectors, I was safe. I was safe. Yeah. I always feel like I have to, because my, my poor mother would be like, you need to call me when you get home. And I would be like, I'm 32. <laughs> I've been running at night for a long time. Like I know how to keep myself safe. Oh, also I'm married. Like you're going to know like, if, I, if I don't come home, like Mark will call you. And she would be like, I just, you'll understand one day when you're a mother. And sure enough, I now do. So I used to run a lot at night and I used to actually love to run later at night as kind of creepy as that may sound because New York City would just be quieter. And in the same way, I would love to run like very early in the morning. Also, mom, if you're listening, like with lectures on, like very safe on the West Side Highway, not on the roads. Do you think it's because there's a lot in your life? There is this huge public persona, but all of the work that you do and teaching and a marriage and children, it makes perfect sense to me to go early or late at night to find the quietest moment, to find the quietest moment in yourself would be exactly what you yeah. would need. So I don't go at night any longer, but I do go early in the morning when I can. And I, and I largely just don't go at night because sometimes our kids wake up and I want to be here if they wake up. So I always feel like, oh, I can go in the morning. It's okay. Yeah, I mean, your kids are little, so it's all those considerations. It's funny, you'll find you'll reach a point where they're older and then suddenly you'll be like, ooh, it's 11 p.m. I'm going to go and do a 10K. <laughs> yeah, like, ooh, they're like going to be teenagers and asleep. <laughs> yeah. It will, because I do the same thing. I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't have to worry about it. Like if he wakes up, he'll just go back to sleep. <laughs> yeah, it'll be fine. Whereas <laughs> right now, you know, if my kids wake up, they've like had a nightmare, they need a glass of water. They need to hear about Pedro the Penguin and it, it's lovely. Enjoy every second of it. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive, with no children and no casinos. Discover more at Viking.com. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. 
time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids' playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe ventilation system exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe ventilation system. You can get it installed, or DIY kits are available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com and receive 20% off today. What's the quality that you least like about yourself? Oh, I least like my perfectionism. I really am hoping that maybe in this decade, my fifth decade on planet Earth, I will be able to possibly mature out of it. How does it negatively affect you personally, you being a perfectionist? Oh, I would say in two ways. It creates a lot of anxiety and then inefficiency when I am obsessing over which word is going to be most perfect when actually both words and something I'm writing are probably like equally good. So it's not my persistence to finish what I start and do the best that I can. Those I think are good qualities, but it's sometimes the fact that I fall into thinking like, oh, it doesn't just have to be best or excellent or very good. It somehow has to be perfect. But often, I mean, what I'm thinking of as perfect is amorphous. Oh, totally. There's no there there. Right. It's just like this spinning that is just not helpful or actually ultimately productive, unlike the drive to excellence. And thankfully, the inborn, and I think, kind of nurtured persistence in the sense that you really have to finish what you start and kind of what my grandmother always called the ministry of showing up in life for our friends, the causes we believe in, but also for ourselves. Those are all good things, but perfectionism is not good. I found it quite hard to teach that with my son, but it's kind of that notion of go for excellence, to do your best, to not give up. And it's funny because I feel like maybe because of what he's observed of how I interact and suffer from the same thing, which is too much attention to detail when actually I should let a little bit more go. And he then funnels that into this idea of what really trying really hard at something is. And I've noticed this perfectionism, exactly what you're talking about. And I realized that I've been demonstrating it. Yeah. And we actually had a conversation the other night about it where I was like, I'm failing at being perfect. And it's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a really important nuance. And, and I don't know how to teach that either, but we are trying, and I don't know if we'll be successful, but at least with our kids, we're trying to distinguish between like your best and and the best. Because what, what does it mean like to be the best, right? But you need to do your best. We care a lot that you try hard. And we talk a lot with our kids about how the most important things in life are to be brave and to be kind. Because I think if you're brave and you're kind, you're going to be a good person. You're going to be a good person to yourself. You're going to be a good person to your siblings, to our family, kind of community, the world. So I don't know if kind of this distinction between your best and the best will will work, but I, I hope it will because I don't want I don't want my kids to emulate this of when I'm like rereading something for truly the seventeenth time and like probably it needed to be reread three times. Right. The next fourteen times were probably not necessary. Right. 
I think there's a panic in my voice goes up a little bit and it all just becomes a bit tight. And it's really not that important. Like you said, the choice between two words that really have fundamentally the same meaning and getting stressed or demonstrating that stress. But maybe they also learn by us catching ourselves and going, you know what, that right there, what you just saw, that was exactly what it isn't. Or that is exactly what I'm trying, you know, at 51, trying to learn to do differently. So perhaps if we as if we catch ourselves as we're doing it, it teaches. Yeah. And we do talk with our kids about how like we make mistakes. You know, sometimes they're really small mistakes, like, you know, back when we weren't in a pandemic and my husband said he was going to pick up the dry cleaning on the way home. And like, he forgot to pick up the dry cleaning. And I really wanted to wear like this shirt the next day. And he's like, (laughs) oh God, I forgot to pick up the dry cleaning. And I'm like, you know what? And I don't need to wear that shirt. I was like annoyed for like two seconds. And I was like, it's really not a big deal. God, I might have been annoyed for a bit longer than that. I must say, I might still be annoyed by that, Chelsea, to tell you the truth. If Addison didn't pick up the dry cleaning of the shirt that I wanted to wear. Right. You're a better person. Off we go. No, but but we would talk about it with our kids. Like, oh, like we make mistakes because we don't want them to be self-conscious about talking about those mistakes um, with us, whatever those mistakes may be. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's how we love. It's by being forgiving of of the imperfections. Right. So the last question is, in your life, can you tell me about something that has grown out of a personal disaster? I think I've been really uh, blessed. I can't really think of anything that's been a personal disaster. I mean, there are things that have been disappointing. There are things that have been sad. But in a professional sense, I took my first tour through graduate school right after I finished Stanford. So I went straight away to Oxford. I knew that I was really interested in global public health. I knew kind of exactly who I wanted to study with. I thought about getting my doctorate at the time, and I just had this sense of, oh my goodness, I'm going to wake up and be, you know, 27 or 28, which feels very old when you're 22. And you're like, oh, right? You're like, I'm just going to be so old, and I'm going to know so much about one thing, a really important thing, but like one thing. And oh, I don't know if I want to do that. And so I went and I worked in consulting and then I worked on Wall Street as an analyst. And then I went back and I got my doctorate at, you know, the ripe old age of like 29 or 30. I can't even remember now when I started again in my PhD program. And But I had this sense of like, oh God, did I waste all this time? And I spent a lot of time thinking like, oh gosh, did I just take this major diversion from my kind of academic, intellectual, professional, personal passion around public health. But I don't think so, because I think the time that I spent in consulting, the time that I spent as an investment analyst really helped me in my professional life. And I don't think I was ready. I think I would have been really lonely um, because working on your dissertation is really a lonely enterprise. Like you're trying to do something no one's done before. You spend a lot of time researching and analyzing and writing. I spent hundreds, probably thousands of hours alone. And I think if I had done that, you know, a decade earlier, I think it would have been a lot harder for me. So, you know, I don't know if that's like a succinct answer to your question. It's an honest one though. It's an honest one. Yeah. You had the temerity to, you know, you'd left if you're, you're working as an analyst and then you're working on Wall Street to then say, no, no, I'm going back to Oxford. I'm going to go back. Maybe, you know, you had to do that in order to know that, yeah, no, I do want to go and spend hundreds of hours by myself and explore this particular subject. And I think the other answer to your question though, when is like, for a long time, I tried really, I don't think I tried. I really was a, a very private person, like in the public domain. 
where I was incredibly proud of both my parents. I was incredibly proud to support both my parents. I was incredibly proud to sort of stand on a stage or sit on a stage behind them or kind of hand out stickers like American flags or signs. I didn't, though, kind of see myself as as any more than that. I didn't want to be any more than that. And then you know, in, in 2008 when my mom was running and then later when President Obama was running, I just felt like, oh, no, I people are paying attention to me whether I want them to or not. Like I'm, I'm, I might as well try to redirect that attention onto why I so strongly believe in and support my mom. And then later after the campaign and after thankfully President Obama won and I guess became President Obama, I tried to, you know, kind of go back a bit more to being a private person. And yet there still was just all this attention on me. And I just had to then think again, like, how can I redirect it? It's here inevitably, like whether it's the paparazzi following me around or, people wondering on cable talk shows or in the pages of magazines or newspapers, like what I think about things or kind of do I have a view on something that kind of my parents were doing. And so I just thought, well, largely prompted by my grandmother consistently telling me that I had a responsibility to do something kind of with this resource I'd been given, even if it wasn't one that I necessarily wanted, it either could kind of be fallow or it could be you know, put to good purpose. So yeah, it didn't feel like my parents' choices were a disaster for me at all, ever, thankfully. It just felt like that had happened to me. And that's not a good place to be. It's much better to feel like, okay, and then here is now what I am doing. I am in the active part of it and not just in the recipient of it. You embrace the agency. Yes. I mean, I think it's about using the energy of other people's decisions, create circumstance in your life, what you then do with it, how you choose to be creative with the stuff that life is inevitably going to throw at you is really what defines us. So how how brilliant that you did that. How brilliant to take something and to turn it into something else. And, and again, it's one of my favorite things that I've heard you say of that idea about regeneration and generating to keep turning it into something, to keep using that energy to move forward and to expand because what else is there except to keep reaching? Agreed. Agreed. Well, I am incredibly grateful for your time. I know you're a very busy lady and thank you very, very, very much for coming on the show. It's lovely hearing about your kids and and you being a Viking mother is <laughs> most, most excellent I can, I can cut. <laughs> Thanks so much, Chelsea. Thank you so much. Chelsea's podcast, In Fact, has new episodes out every Tuesday. It's a podcast that takes a look into the world of public health through shared stories. This week, Chelsea sits down with three people who share a deep commitment to environmental justice. Also, check out her sheep-assisted series of children's books as they are truly excellent. Mini Questions is hosted and written by me, Mini Driver. Supervising producer, Aaron Kaufman. Producer, Morgan Lavoy. Research assistant, Marissa Brown. Original music, Sorry Baby, by Mini Driver. Additional music by Aaron Kaufman. Executive produced by me and Mangesh Hatikador. Special thanks to Jim Nicolay, Will Pearson, Addison O'Day, Lisa Castella and Anique Oppenheim at WKPR, Dela Pescador, Kate Driver and Jason Weinberg, and for constantly solicited tech support, Henry Driver.
This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive, with no children and no casinos. Discover more at Viking.com. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.